Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another session of the Creating Structure podcast. Thanks for listening. Uh, before I introduce my guest today, first a quick word from our sponsor, the National Glass Association. Glass Build America is back. Goodbye virtual shows, hello real products, real people, and real business opportunities. The industry is reuniting at the largest glass, glazing, window, and door event in the Western Hemisphere for the buying and business building that only an in-person trade show can deliver. The leading commercial glazing contractors, glass fabricators, and residential fenestration manufacturers and installers are heading to Atlanta September 13th through the 15th for Glass Build America the Glass Window and Door Expo. Strengthen your supply chain and get the tools, products, and resources to future-proof your business. Your competition will be at GlassBuild. Will you? For more information and to register, visit GlassBuild.com. All right, welcome back. It is my pleasure today to have from Ubiquitous Energy, David Mikowski, and Miles Barr, David and Miles, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us, John. It's great. Great to have three people. So we'll have uh, multiple perspectives here. So um, in keeping with our, our normal intro, uh, why don't you, uh, Miles, you go first. Why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us where you're from, what your background is, and and what you do. Sounds good. Um so my name is Miles Barr. I am a co-founder and chief technology officer here at Ubiquitous Energy. Um, I grew up in the Midwest. Uh, so my hometown is Independence, Missouri, uh, which is a suburb of, of Kansas City. Um, if you ever uh, played the Oregon Trail game, it's the start of the Oregon Trail. Um, so that's where I grew up. I went to um, college at Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I studied chemical engineering there. Uh, as well as music. I'm a music major and a chemical engineering major. Um, but I decided to go the engineering route, um, went to MIT where I started to do uh, research in solar technologies, uh, just fell in love with solar technology. Um, to me, it's like magic, it's like, you know, electricity from sunlight seems like a magical idea. And I, I really became enamored with that. Um, started to research uh, different technologies there. Um, and then uh, caught the entrepreneurial bug and started Ubiquitous Energy, and um, that is what I'm working on today. So I have two quick questions. Well, maybe a comment and two questions. Um, tell people, in case anybody doesn't know, what does Ubiquitous mean and what does Ubiquitous Energy do? So ubiquitous means everywhere, um, and really that is the whole premise of of our company, Ubiquitous Energy, is we want to make energy and electricity available everywhere, um, all throughout our lives in the products and services we interact with every day. And what we do is we make solar technology that is invisible. Uh, it's transparent. It doesn't look like anything out of the ordinary. Um, and what this means is that you can have ordinary window glass that generates electricity and looks just like a normal window but has the added benefit that now it's generating energy. Great, we'll get deeper into that. And on the more serendipitous side, I too am a musician. I've played guitar since I was seven years old. So many people don't realize there's a very strong connection between the creative arts and engineering, which people don't get often unless they're one of them. What music 
were you in like voice or instrumental or what do you play? Yeah, so I I played uh, piano as a kid, and then I I took up the trombone in high school. Okay. Um, did a little bit of both throughout high school and college. Um, trombone was my main focus in um, in college, but I, I played in the orchestra, the jazz band, the wind ensemble. Um, also spent a lot of time in the marching band, um, particularly in high school, um, and had a lot of fun with that. That's great. I'll bookmark it there for a minute. Let's move over to David. David, um, where are you from? What's your background? And and tell us what you do. Yeah, um, I've pretty much been born and raised in in Michigan my whole life, the metro Detroit area, except for about three years growing up. Uh, So growing up, I I really loved uh, uh, sports and then gravitated towards music and art. Uh, I was actually a commercial art major in high school. Uh, but then um, I saw some of the competition I was against, and I, I went away to college at uh, Eastern Michigan University, and I became, I, I kind of gravitated towards a, a field called technical communication. Uh, my, my first career was in technical writing, where I really got a charge out of technology uh, and being able to break it down and communicate it to to users uh, in order to use that technology or perform a task. And that's kind of uh, where I uh, I got the bug in the technology without being an engineer. Uh, then I uh, spent some time in the uh, defense industry and software industry as a technical writer before moving into electronics and displays. Uh, uh, we did flat panel displays out of a, a company in Northfield, Michigan for avionics. That was exciting. Um, and then at that same time, I, I started doing my uh, master's d- degree at the University of Michigan, and I got my MBA out of there and then moved into uh, really program management, product development type of focus. And uh, that's kind of where I, I ended up. I went to, uh, uh, <clears throat> after that, I, I spent a long time in the glass industry at Guardian Industries, uh, about 15 years as part of their science and technology team. And uh and also uh, got the startup bug uh, working for Electrochromic Company for about two and a half years before joining uh, Ubiquitous uh, to, to help them take their exciting product to market. And what was that Electrochromic Company? It's called Heliotrope Technologies. Okay, great. Wow, that's quite a background. It's great to be surrounded by really intelligent people. I'm glad I only have to ask the questions because I've got an MBA and I've got a PhD and an MIT guy. I'm always impressed by that. That's good. Um, well, I'm really excited about this for for me and for our audience because it's one of the more innovative discussions we've had because your your product is innovative. Uh, I have so many questions. I have to figure out where I want to start. So, Miles, you said you fell in love with solar technology at MIT. So you have this, sounds like you have this strong why. Um, how did you fall in love? Why did you fall in love with it? What, what did that process look like? Yeah. So, so when I came into to MIT, I had a I first actually had an interest in materials, um, and so I was uh, looking at research, research groups that were focusing on um, organic semiconductor materials, whether they be you know small dyes or polymers, and researching different ways to apply them. Um, I was during my PhD, looking at vacuum processes in particular, so ways to make thin film coatings of novel novel semiconductor materials by vacuum processes. Um, and one of the applications that we were looking at was 
making functional electronic devices out of these. And solar devices are, are one of those um, categories. Um, and I just think solar is just a really cool concept. Um, I think everybody's probably familiar with the basics, which is that light hits a surface and that light gets converted into electricity. Um, there's a lot of physics kind of underlying that that make that possible, but on, on the surface level, it's just a really cool concept. It seems, it seems like magic. Um, and so that was kind of the start of it. Um, we, uh, to, you know, I, together with a couple other folks at MIT, um, we're looking at a variety of ways of making new kind of novel solar technologies. And all of that work was predicated on the idea that solar could do more for us as, as people, as a society, society than just kind of what we're familiar with, which are the panels on your rooftop or maybe the panels that you see driving down the road on, in, in a field. Um, that's kind of like what, what we think of as solar technology, but the functionality that's light into electricity, you know, why can't that be applied to any service? Why can't it be, you know, in your, your, your curtains or your, your, the glass of your, your house or on the screen of your, your phone? Um, and so we started looking at finding technology solutions to enable this kind of seamless embedding of solar technology to different products. And that really led us to this concept of transparency and the idea that you could make a solar cell transparent opened up a lot of ideas um, in different applications, you know, ways and products that could be generating their own electricity if you didn't see the solar cell. Um, places where the aesthetics are really, really important and um, kind of marrying the idea of aesthetic beauty with the functionality of solar technology. And that, that was kind of the premise that, that led to ubiquitous energy. That's great. You, you made the comment when we were discussing prior to the show that it's a, this photovoltaic film, it's a truly transparent solar. You, you really, you kind of honed in on that point. So you're, you're literally saying it's no different than looking through glass with a low E coating or anything like that. You don't notice some diagrammatic network of BIPV printed on the back of the glass. That's right. And it, it actually seems, it seems kind of contradictory when you think, you know, we want to absorb as much light as possible. We want to absorb light to convert it to electricity. How can it be transparent? How would let light through? Um, and the solution that, that we've come up with at Ubiquitous is to break the spectrum up into different components. Um, so if you look at the sun spectrum, there's visible light, which we see. Um, that's you know, the colors that we see when we look, look out the window. Um, but actually over 75% of the photons from the sun are invisible to us. They are in the ultraviolet part of the spectrum um, and the infrared part of the spectrum. And the trick to making a solar cell truly transparent is to make the semiconductors selectively absorb those non-visible parts of the spectrum hmm. while letting the visible light pass through. And so that allows you, just like you said, to have you know, a low E window that looks like a low E window is as transparent as a low E window, but it's also generating electricity from those non-visible parts of the solar spectrum. Wow, that's fantastic. Uh, yeah, and because visible light transmittance, that's very important. And, and light 
And daylighting in lead work is, is very important as well in lead strategies. And uh, that that's a great cause. I'm um, reminded of the, are you talking about like the wave particle duality of light? Is that what we're talking about? It, it's there's visible light spectrum and then there's the invisible light spectrum and you're trying to harness the invisible light spectrum. Yeah, so the we we have um, engineered our we call them dyes or they're the semiconductors that that absorb a photon, excite that, so you excite an electron and you find a way to to separate mm -hmm. it. It's the kind of physics behind it, um, and you can do that with with any part of the spectrum, whether the photons in the visible or the invisible. I see. Um, the trick is making the dyes just absorb the invisible part of the spectrum. Gotcha. Let me move. To, thanks for that background in terms of because we still haven't quite we've just gotten to how you got interested and got to ubiquitous energy. But I want to move to David. David, you are the director of channel development, correct? Yes. With ubiquitous energy. So so here we have one of the founders. Miles, you're you're one of the founders, right? Former yep. CEO, chief technology officers, one of the inventors, Sorry. right? Yeah. And now, David, when did you enter Ubiquitous? So you had a you had this flat glass supply glass supply chain background with Cardinal and others, and then you were in the BIPV. When did you enter Ubiquitous, and what does a director of channel development do? Well, I actually started working with Ubiquitous about uh, a year ago, and they wanted me to help them with formula uh, uh, for prototyping on some of their their concepts to see how that would fit within. Uh, the supply chain, the adoption chain within the channel. Uh, I will also help them at that time really map out a plan to do a reliability testing suite in order to really put their prototypes through the through the paces against the industry uh, test standards to make make sure that we can offer a product. Uh, and a warranty that's very similar to what a standard low E or solar control window would be. And then uh, this year uh, I was brought on full time uh, to really manage that channel further. And uh, what the channel uh, development task here is within the residential and commercial window market is, is kind of my job to make sure that we have tight relationships with all the people that supply inputs or outputs to that channel, whether they're material suppliers, whether they're fabricators, their facade consultants, their developers, that that our message is getting across to them, that we understand their point of view, and that we are are trying to offer a product that uh, disrupts the the idea of what glass can be in the market, but it doesn't disrupt the channel. It it still empowers the existing channel players, but just with a with a unique product. So my job is to kind of make sure that all all that gets done to where everyone can be uh, coming out of this in a win-win situation. That everybody is is has positive gains in this and are are motivated to take this product to market. Sounds like a great uh, a great and exciting reason to get to work every day. That's yeah. that's that's fantastic. Um, do you have any idea, David, of what the total square footage? like what the potential is with residential and or commercial um, of vertically surfaced glass that could produce electricity? Uh, that's, a, that's a really, really tough question, John. I mean, but I mean, you look at 
the surface area of you know a commercial building the surface area of the glass facade is going to be much more than a residential home so our you know that is where we're really looking to be a, a vertical uh, solar farm type mm -hmm. of concept where use that all that space there which can be 50 100 200 times what the available space is on the roof or the spandrel area of, of a building that can be used to harness electricity uh and that's kind of what we're looking at here. So, I mean, um, the, the beauty about our product is that you are adding a renewable, sustainable solar energy technology without increasing a single square foot of, of footprint within the infrastructure of the building or, or property compared to uh, traditional solar or wind turbine or these type of technologies. Yeah, it sounds like it could be a real game changer and it will be a real game changer. I know just thinking about some of the jobs we've been involved with, for instance, in Seattle or New York City or other major metropolitan areas. I mean, many of them are two, three, four, five hundred thousand square feet of exterior cladding. Of course, some of that's opaque wall might be along a property line, but many of these jobs easily have 200, 250, 300,000 or more square foot of glass. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's, that's great. So, um, Miles, uh, so you got to ubiquitous energy through this process. I guess I want to unpack that a little bit on that history. You're at MIT, you fall in love with the solar technology, you're developing this, this transparent product. You're asking these really great questions. Um, how did ubiquitous energy form? I, I'm interested in the entrepreneurial story there. So the start of it was the, the kind of results that we were seeing in the lab kind of started the ball rolling. Um, and that inspired me with some encouragement from some of my, my advisors at MIT to start enrolling in, in actually classes in, in the business school. So I, I took a number of um, classes at Sloan, which is the business school at MIT, um, to start to learn about kind of the nuts and bolts of building a company about entrepreneurship. Um, we wrote a business plan um, together uh, with my co-founders um, and basically started to, to raise money for, for this idea. And so we went out and started to talk to investors. Um, we were fortunate to get funded um, back in 2012 um, with a small amount of kind of seed capital which allowed us to uh, build some very, very early prototypes, essentially proof of concept, almost proof of physics, sort of, can you make something transparent and generate electricity? And, and that was the very first uh, prototype. And that was happening out of um, shared facilities. We didn't have a facility at the time. We were kind of, you know, beg, borrowing and stealing time, I guess, if you will. Um, and uh, really just trying to show that this was possible while also doing a lot of voice of customer kind of market research um, across various different markets. I mean, we were looking at consumer electronics, automotive, agriculture, um, architectural glass, um, all of which are applications we will eventually get to at Ubiquitous, um, but it, it really allowed us to understand um, who, which markets were ripe for this technology today. Um, and that kind of, one thing led to another, which which really got us uh, embedded into the glass glass industry now, architectural glass industry. Um, 
we raised more capital. We ended up moving the company to uh, Redwood City, California, which is where we're head headquartered today, which is in the, the Bay Area, and um, set up a kind of state-of-the-art uh, research and prototyping facility. Um, that has allowed us to continue developing the technology, maturing the materials, um, starting to do you know, really detailed testing all the way from performance to reliability. Um, and most recently, we've set up a um, pilot or prototype manufacturing line, um, which is essentially a small scale production line where we can make um, uh, kind of the industry standard test size, which is 14 inch by 20 inch uh, insulated glass units that, that have our, our coating embedded in them, um, but serves as kind of the the sort of like template for what a full scale production line is going to look like. Um, so it allows us to run the process start to finish all the way from incoming glass, coat the glass, make the insulated glass unit, um, test it, run it through all, all the reliability testing and even do installations. We're doing installations today with these um, tiling together, these, these smaller insulated glass units. I guess, um, it was technically in Boston, Cambridge, um, because that's where we all were at the time. Um, we didn't have a facility, so it didn't require moving equipment or anything. It, it required moving a few bodies. Um, but we, we came here because of um, a couple of reasons. One, one was because we were looking at so many different markets. We wanted to be kind of at the crossroads of, of where all you know, business interactions uh, happen. There also the uh, talent pool out here for um, engineers uh, from the semiconductor industry um, has been really valuable for us in, in getting some of our core team uh, put together. Um, we're drawing on kind of inspiration from a lot of different industries, um, including the semiconductor industry. And so that, that's been good for, for building up our team. Makes it sound really fancy. And, you know, I think there are, you know, there are semiconductors in our coding, um, but we're trying to take the simple parts of it and marry it with what the glass industry, you know, does every day. Um, you mentioned low E, um, we're really trying to mimic the low E manufacturing process. Um, so, you know, for those of, of you who aren't familiar with how low E is made, essentially glass comes in and that glass gets coated in a vacuum coating process um, with a number of different um, materials. There are oxides and metals and um, that, that then goes into a glass fabrication step where the inside of glass unit is made the process that we've developed to make um, our transparent solar technology, it looks exactly the same as LOE. Um, there are a couple new materials that we integrate into that LOE coating, but they also happen in the vacuum coder. Um, we also need to you know, attach wires and, and do a little bit of patterning, um, but we're really trying to do that in a very simple and seamless way that, you know, kind of, as, as David mentioned, doesn't disrupt the supply chain, it fits within the supply chain, fits within the manufacturing processes um, that the industry is already familiar with. We, we really wanna, we wanna look like the glass industry. We don't wanna look like the semiconductor industry. We wanna take the, the features, the semiconductor features, but apply them into the, the known processes in the glass industry. There's a book that came out a few years ago called The Wide Lens by Ron Adner at uh, Dartmouth University that was very, very influential in my life uh, because it, it's all about that. It's looking at a wide lens in terms of introducing new technology in the product, uh, new technology and products into the marketplace. And it talks about how people get in, 
into these execution, very narrow focused viewpoints of how to introduce a technology because it, 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 it does these certain things, but what they don't look at is a wide lens of how the whole ecosystem has to come around a new product offering to make it successful. Uh, lots of examples of how products failed because they did not do this, this wide lens view of, of servicing the product effort launches or having enough support to, uh, you know, technical support or field support to, uh, to help it at launch because they didn't form those relationships or even, you know, a great example is how Apple waited uh, for the iPod and Apple Music until that was on the shelf for years until broadband got to a point where it could facilitate the, the flow and purchasing of music to the pod. So that's the right way to do it. So what we're trying to do here is look at everybody and make sure that there are certain points there, there in the supply chain that people are going to have to do uh, some people are going to have to do a subtle uh, adjustment. Some people are going to have to do a major adjustment, but we want to work with them uh, to make sure that 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 their profit pools are going to stay stay healthy, uh, that their their long term sustainability is going to be healthy from this, and that everyone along the food chain is motivated to make this product successful. Because what the book says is that if you have one player in that, whether they're a material supplier or a distributor or installation or integrator, if they're not motivated and they wanna kill this thing, they can kill it. They can kill its success in the marketplace. So that's what we're, what we're really trying to be aware of and make sure that everyone within the channel is gonna be motivated to make, make this awesome technology a reality. Okay, David, thanks for that. Um, so it sounds like, you guys have really hit it from both sides. And I know there's other colleagues you haven't mentioned. So we've got the, the, the proof of concept development, innovation, technology piece that Miles is overseeing. We've got this channel development that you're keeping in mind. Um, wh what other bridges between the, the, the technology and innovation and the channels, like what other pieces are involved in ubiquitous energy and bringing this product to market? Are there other key roles, key players involved in the company, David? Um, key role, I mean, I'm trying to, to think. I mean, I have a glass-centric mm -hmm. point of view on this, but um, uh, I mean, we, we really are, in terms of, of influencers into the, the channel, uh, we're actively trying to do that as well um, in terms of the people in, in your space, John, in terms of engineering consultants, facade consultants, uh, uh, you know, building envelope consultants, those type of people uh, we're trying to get uh, to come alongside us as well. And within our company, uh, you know, we do have people that bring um, other, uh, I'd say, complementary markets into into the fold uh we have people there that have experience in uh oled uh manufacturing that directly ties to uh some of our components uh we have people with backgrounds in photovoltaics and renewables uh so like uh like miles said earlier we have you know and we have people with semiconductor it's a very uh, unique and complementary mix of people 
within our team and a very broad view we're trying to take out into the market about you know using that expertise and really honing in on trying to develop uh, a message uh, of value uh, that's customized for each one of these players in the channel. I, I, I hope that makes sense, but that's what we're really trying to draw upon is we know that each link in the supply chain is going to need a different a slight slight tweak of the of the value proposition in order for it to really hit home for that individual player. Sure. Yeah, that's interesting. Miles, you um, had mentioned that at one point you were the CEO and then you decided to take on a different role. And I think Susan Stone is your CEO. When when did that transition take place? When did you bring her in and why and, and how has that impacted the company? Yeah, so that happened a couple of years ago and um, it really happened at a time where we were transitioning from you know, pure R&D into you know, real manufacturing planning, uh, commercialization planning, first you know, go-to-market planning. Um, and so there was a lot on the company's plate, um, you know, a lot technically that we're focused on now. Um, as you can imagine, planning a manufacturing line is a, uh, is a heroic endeavor. Um, especially when it's a first of a kind uh, manufacturing line. So, you know, that's a, that's a team effort. I mean, that, that's all encompassing across the engineering team. Um, so that is kind of where I'm focused today. Um, Susan actually was a early investor in the company. So she's not new to the company. Um, she, she joined as a board member back in 2014. And she and I uh, and the team have worked together for, for a very long time now. Um, she took on the operational role a couple of years ago, and it's been fantastic. Um, just just in kind of driving the fundraising, driving the the um, go to market strategy, driving the commercial strategy, um, and so really feel like we have a a, a great balanced team across um, all the different uh, expertise that's needed to kind of get this thing off the ground. Um, okay, so let me. Um gather myself here for a minute. I want to look at some of my notes because there's a lot of ground here we've covered so far and a lot of different directions we can go. I guess I'm interested in the creative process and the innovation process in how, so you, you did the initial ideation, R&D, um, proof of concept or proof of physics as you called it. And now, you're creating this manufacturing like a cover of 14 by 20 sample size. I think David, you mentioned, is it true you have some 14 by 20 installations in that are, and you're testing the, the product, is that true? Yes, actually we, we have a few. We have uh, about 50, uh, 50 of the units in a facade at our headquarters in Redwood City, California, uh, that is, that's generating enough electricity uh, to power uh, I believe uh, the, the the lighting in in that part of the building uh, on a daily basis, and uh, and so we have ways of monitoring and seeing the variation of the power that's being generated throughout the day and the year. Uh, we also completed last year a uh, another installation uh, of 14 by 20 array at our uh, primary glass manufacturing partner uh, NSG Pilkington's Technical Center just outside Toledo, Ohio. Uh, we are completing a, another installation at a net zero building in Colorado. And then uh, we'll be announcing very soon a 
uh, installation we're doing at a rather iconic uh, skyscraper in New York City uh, that I think you'll find very exciting. It's all very exciting. Shout out to Toledo. Um, <laughs> by the way, I don't, I mean, I don't hold it against you that you're a Michigan guy and I'm a, I'm an Ohio, an Ohio guy. So Miles, um, let's talk about the, um, do you have like a forecast? You're looking down the road for how you get from 14 by 20 to larger size of residential and commercial glazed products. Again, if I, I don't want to tread on any intellectual property, but um, what does that look like that process and the creative um, growth and advancement? Yeah. So, you know, as I mentioned earlier, our manufacturing process looks a lot like conventional low E and uh, conventional sort of glass fabrication. Um, and down the road, we think it's going to be possible to drop this process into even existing uh, production lines around the world. Um, but to start, we do plan to have a dedicated uh, line uh, built and designed for, for the product, basically as a, as a template for what large-scale manufacturing um, looks like for this product. Um, and so we are in the planning phases for that first production line right now. Um, you know, these lines take a while to build and install and bring up, but we expected that first line to be up online by 2023. Um, and that will be designed for both the residential and the commercial market. It will allow us to make products to, to um, serve both industry or both, both of those um, markets and really kind of two different um, uh, value propositions for the two. Um, you know, David described um, this kind of vertical solar farm concept, which is really, really exciting for the commercial market, where basically you're generating electricity to offset um, the energy consumption in the building. Um, in the residential market, um, there's less glass. So we do think that that could be a way to offset a home's energy consumption. But we think that there's also a really... Um, uh, exciting potential for using the electricity that the windows generate right at the window itself. Um, and that can be used to power specific functions or features. Um, you know, one that you might think of is motorization. Um, blinds often sit right at the window and oftentimes it's useful to have those motorized or automated. Um, but maybe you don't want to have the electrician come in and rewire your whole home just to get motorized blinds. Um, you can have that built right into the window. Um, and that's just, you know, a really simple feature that you could, you know, extrapolate into other things like sensors, cameras, um, basically integrating your windows with your smart home. And that's a, a concept that we're exploring for the residential market, in addition to the kind of general power um, uh, generation. Um, so we're working, you know, within the channel to, to develop prototypes around um, both of those products, both for the residential and the commercial markets. Um, and then if we look really long-term, um, you know, we're excited about other, other industries as well, you know, consumer electronics, automotive glass, um, agriculture. Um, those are kind of, kind of you know, deep, deep pipeline right now, but they're, they're markets that we're going to be going into. And it's, it's all the same uh, coding at the end of the day. It's our transparent, um, our transparent solar coating and just apply it into a different product. That's fantastic. Uh, I'll ask David, but I'll ask then you after a uh, same question. David, um, as Miles was talking, it, it it just sounds to me like, you know, we we sometimes throw around the word game changer um, kind of 
in a laissez-faire way, but this product sounds like a real game changer, like a world impactor with almost limitless um, applications in its full manifestation. Um, do you see it as such? Yeah, I mean, I have you know close to you know, twenty on and off twenty to twenty-five years in, in the glass industry in different areas of it, uh, residential, commercial, but also did uh, you know solar glass, solar mirrors at Guardian. So I, I've kind of seen a lot of these things, but I it is a game changer in that. Uh, in the commercial channel, it's really three products in one. Um, it's it's vision glass, it's low E solar control, and it's BIPV all in one product, not three separate discrete products. And it has the potential to have all three of these functions and not only uh, increase the energy efficiency by acting as a low E, it is also offsetting the the uh, the building's energy. Uh, intake uh as as miles said on the residential side it opens up what you know they call a an entirely new market channel you look at the, the home everything in your house is becoming smart now and connected i mean your thermostat your appliances your doorbell every your lights are all connected to a smart home hub and the one part of the one common piece in the house that is not linked to that right now commonly is are your windows and you know they, they they can be smart and this power this technology allows you to do that seamlessly without any infrastructure changes of having to wire it into your house because it's all self-powered you just need to say what yeah you need to basically just install it it starts generating power and you have your features on your window and you connect it to your smart home hub and you can say, hey, uh, you know, hey, uh, Google, if it starts raining outside, can you close my window? Uh, or if it reaches a certain temperature or illumination, can you lower my shades automatically? And can you talk to my nest? You know, so it is it's a real game changer. And that's just in those two markets where, you know, we haven't even talked about some of the other, you know, you know, further out of horizon markets like in you know agricultural and automotive and other things like that. I'm actually very interested in the agricultural market. My my wife and I and my daughter and her family, we've got a community garden and we've expanded at about triple the size this year. It's also a great YouTube channel called um, Farmer's Friend, and they tell stories and applications of uh, they have different products. At first, I didn't even know it was a channel for a company, but I I get excited when I'm hearing you talk and I'm thinking about, I know it's probably way downstream, but the, the small and large scale agriculture, not just in our country, but in less developed countries, the potential there seems endless. Miles, I want to flip over to you for a minute. Um, as a, as an innovator, as a as a as a creator of a technology, um, how do you see this impacting the world? Like, is it? Are we looking ahead at like? Yep. You know, let me back up. So Gary Vaynerchuk just released an NFT thing, and he's like, "I'm in this for the 45 year plan. Nobody knows where it's going, but I'm in this for 45 years, which is probably the rest of his natural life." Uh, do you look ahead that long term? Do you say? this could change the world in 50 years. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I, I think the, 
the roadmap is there from low E. I mean, low E was introduced in the late seventies and, you know, it took about 30 years for it to be, you basically ubiquitous within the glass market. Now, now you, you really, any glass you buy is, is low E. And so we see that same pathway for electricity generating low E over the next 30 years. And if you start to get, you know, slowly switch over from passive low E to electricity generating low E, um, if you think about the scale of the installed um, solar capacity that, that the world will have, just following a similar adoption curve as low E, um, you can offset gigatons of CO2 um, per year. Um, and that, that's, a, that's a big dent in, um, for a single technology to have the opportunity to do that without really doing anything different. I mean, we're, we're slightly changing the product, but it's not like we're asking anyone to you know, install something they wouldn't be otherwise. So, you know, we all want glass. Glass is, is great. You know, we, we love the natural light. We love the, the way it makes our buildings look. Um, so, so this, if anything, it, it gives, um, you know, architects and engineers a way to continue designing with glass with all its beauty um, without compromising on, on energy. You know, you don't have to go to maybe lower window to wall ratios because now we can make the glass work for us and so it sort of really gives a lot of opportunity there and the scale is huge i mean the the amount of glass that's produced um annually today is is massive you know billions of of square feet of glass uh per year low e glass per year and that can all be an energy asset to us so just just really exciting um you know we do need to walk before we run so we have to we have to make it real um and that that's kind of been our mantra all along is you know as soon as we come up with an idea we want to show it right there's there's nothing quite like having one of these insulated glass units in your hand and saying hey this actually looks transparent um so the next step is to put it in in buildings you know at, at a you know, on a full-size building and see what that looks like um and so we're doing it systematically but with an eye towards this this really really big opportunity down the road that's that's really great my mind's really running with it you know and i think of like a uh an electric car, you know, 25 years from now, you know, to your point, everything has glass, almost everything has glass in it. Um, and to think of a Tesla car, or a car of that type, which has a computer system, and, you know, to be harvesting energy through the windshield and the windows would be quite spectacular, wouldn't it? Absolutely. So, um, David, uh, do you have any big challenges in communicating like your message is, is there been any, any struggles there in, um, in talking to the market about this, any hurdles or barriers that you've had to confront that you can share? Well, I mean, it, that's a great question. I mean, we're fortunate in that the, the dynamic glass players have, have done a good, good job of treading the road in front of us in terms of getting the whole concept of going from passive to an active glass solution in mm -hmm. in in, a, in application so they've done that but you know this whole area of you know BIPV is kind of prescriptive and just to get a bigger to to, to kind of get a bigger picture that this is more than BIPV and this is not a traditional uh, BIPV uh, solution is, is, is a bit of a challenge for us because you know a lot of the you, you talked about it earlier the BIPV solutions that have you know full, you know uh, 
cells laminated in the glass or they're on the edge or they have certain color to them. And, you know, all these people are saying that they're, they're transparent or semi-transparent. So uh, they're, they're to market first right now. So part of our, our challenge is to say, we're, we're building integrated photovoltaics, but we're truly transparent. There are no aesthetic trade-offs that you have to make in order to harvest electricity with our solution. So I think that's a bit uh, because, you know, the uh, traditional BIPV has been around a while and it, the up, uptake has been, been there, but it's had its challenges and it has a certain reputation around it. And, uh, and so I think we, uh, we struggle a bit with that. Uh, Miles, do you have anything you'd like to add? Cause we, we were talking about that pretty recently. Yeah. And no, I, th I think that the, Early on, it was, you know, people want to see it. And I think that's been, that's been what's really, really been hugely valuable about our having this, this prototype pilot production line um, here is that now we can send samples, right? If we have an interested architect, we have an interested glass company, interested window OEM, first thing that happens is a sample goes out the door and they can see this thing in their own hands. And at that point, it kind of, it tells a story for itself. Um, but before that, you know, you really have to kind of like explain it. And I think that that, that, that was a challenge, but it, it's become a lot easier now that we, we have, you know, prototypes, we have installations and um, that's been a really, really valuable tool for us. Good, thank you. Um, have you had any miles in, you know, we communicate messages to the external world and we communicate messages to internal world to staff. Have you had any significant barriers you've had to overcome as well? Just selling certain ideas to your team, and if so, how do you do that? You know, we're we're a pretty pragmatic bunch here. Um, everybody wants to see the pathway and kind of you know put pencil to paper and like map out the roadmap. Um, mm -hmm. And so we kind of, we, we need to balance that and have a really practical, you know, achievable roadmap, um, but also have this big vision, you know, this big future vision where this is everywhere and it's in every product. And, um, you know, sometimes that can feel scary to, to the engineering team because it's, you know, well, we only have so much time in the day and we need to do X, Y, Z before we can do, you know, the next things. Um, and so I think it's just really just having shared vision internally on, you know, what's the roadmap in the near term and then what's the long-term vision and kind of keeping those um, in context. Hmm. Well, okay, um, so I'm gonna move from the, I'm gonna move to a, a little bit more of a um, creative question for you because I was thinking about this the other day for myself. Um, so the question is how much of your success as a creator inventor do you believe has to do with mathematics and engineering and how much of it has to do with musicianship and creative arts? Very quick question. I guess a balance of both. Um, I think, you know, I think the creativity is important um, for sure. And I think that that's a big part of um, where the ideas come from. Um, but then that needs to be followed quickly, you know, with re reducing it to practice, right? making it real, make a prototype as quickly as you can, you know, fail fast if it's going to fail, figure out that it's, you know, something's wrong, we got to take a different path. So it's, it's a balance of both. And it's finding, you're just being aware of, 
of when is the time to you know switch on switch on one part of your brain and switch off the other. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I was thinking the other day that um, beyond my wife and my family and and God and those all being contributors to my success, I I think any success I have outside of the people that have contributed to it all probably have more to do with singing and playing the guitar and and uh, being on stage and different things than it is. I mean, vocationally, I'm an engineer. Vocationally, you know, you're you're an engineer, you're a scientist. Vocationally, Dave is an MBA, but there's so many other parts of our character that make up who we are that really bring the value to the table that it's a fascinating question. And, you know, you mentioned um, um, other people. I think that's where, that's where the value is, right? It's in surrounding yourself with great people, both, you know, people as people. And I think I can confidently say that, you know, ubiquitous is a group of great people as humans. Um, and we've been really, really careful to hire really good people, um, but also brilliant people that are, you know, domain experts in, you know, a very specific kind of sliver of, of the world. Um, and I think that that's really powerful. Um, you know, this is a team effort. It's not any one person. It, it's, it's the group that we have assembled here. Um, and I, I think that, that that's actually really where, where the uh, success in creating something new is coming from. Totally. The power is in the team. Not, I mean, you can create the vision and have an idea, a great idea, but without an integrator and an operational director and a technology team and all those other things, it doesn't happen, right? You have to ultimately generate revenue in a business. Um, David, uh, similar question, but um, you mentioned a book earlier, I believe. Have you read any, as, as a guy who likes kind of an entrepreneurial mindset and you know, you've been in this business full-time a year, have you read any books or prescribed any mindsets from other um, writers or thinkers that have impacted you or continue to impact you? Well, I mean, I, I have to start at the top. I mean, it's the oldest book in the world, but the, the Bible is really the one book I read every day. And it's my, mm -hmm. my compass in life. And I, and I start that every day uh, of my day uh, to get my mind, mind straight. Um, but uh, other than that, I mean, there's been a few books there that really have mattered a lot to me. One is uh, uh, about the team and the people that Miles talked about. There's a book called 360 Degree Leader by John Maxwell, which uh, I find is very, it, it talks about just leadership and influencing. It's not about where you're at in a hierarchy. It's about how you work at all the spokes around you and you manage upwards, you manage sideways, you manage downward, but you influence and you lead at 360 degrees. And uh, another one is, uh, uh, it's called Good to Great by Jim Collins. And it's, it's particularly, uh, appropriate for um, ubiquitous where it's at right now because it talks about going from being a good company to a great company where you find where you get the right people they talk about getting the right people on the bus and uh, that's what Miles talked about and you might not where, where they sit on the bus when they get on it might not be where they sit on the bus at the end of the ride but the important thing is they're the right person to get on the bus and they can move to different seats as needed on the bus and, and it, another key thing is about humility uh, in leadership, which uh, this company really, really has. Uh, they're always open to challenge and uh, it's very, very healthy. And then also leading to what they call that flywheel moment where you, you're, you're, 
your company and everything has hit the point where now it's a flywheel and that's where it takes off there were that's where it goes from good to great um but uh you know that along with the stephen covey's mantra of you know act or be acted upon is something those are that's something i i i I would, I always like to be the active sort. I don't like being passive and I'd rather act than be acted upon. So thank you for that. That's great. I, I just listened to a really fantastic interview with Tim Ferriss and Chip Wilson. He's the founder of Lululemon and he mentioned good to great and also Covey's seven habits of highly yeah. effective people were significant books for him. He's 65. So those were right in his primary development age. Um, but you know, are you willing to sacrifice the good to make great? And that's a lifetime challenge, isn't it? Really? Right. Miles, how about you? Any, any books or mindsets or, 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 you know, a little different direction here. So I, I personally love um, just kind of like the visual display of ideas and information. Um, and actually right around the time when Susan joined as CEO, she gave me a book called the visual display of quantitative uh, information, which was by one of her professors at Yale, um, Edward Tufte, which is really, really cool. It's, you know, how, how to um, just display, you know, different complicated quantitative concepts, simply a lot, a lot of information in a small, small piece of space. Um, I guess on that, in that line of thinking as well, I love, I love the blog 538, which is, you know, they cover everything from politics to sports, but what I like about it is they they spend a lot of time on their their figures, right? The the way that they show really complicated concepts and lots of data in a small amount of space in an easy to understand way. Um, so I, I those those kind of things fascinate me. So that is the the book is the visual expression of quantitative information. Is that what it's visual called? display of quantitative information? Visual display of so you you like to see those visuals and that that's. I wrote that down. I got to look that up. That looks interesting. And the other one was blog 538. Is that what you said? Yeah, 5, 538, which is, you know, it started out as a political political sort of like forecasting thing for elections, but now they cover sports and, you know, kind gotcha. of, you know, Halloween candy is most popular across across the, the country. Really, really interesting stuff. Well, there's a lot more we could get into, but we're coming to the end of our time. Um, David, anything you'd like to say before we sign off and then I'll ask Miles the same. Any any final messages for our audience or thoughts about Ubiquitous or anything else? Uh, no, I really, really appreciate the opportunity, John, to come on your show and, and share this. I mean, it's uh, uh, I've been in the industry a long time and it, like you said, I think this is really uh, game-changing uh, technology and product and it, I was immediately attracted to it uh, as soon as I saw uh, it was basically a a low E that generates power, uh, and there's mm -hmm. no trade-off. So, um, all I can say is, uh, you know, keep an eye on ubiquitous energy because we're going to change the way that you look at glass. I love it. Yeah. As you said, a, a truly transparent solar, no compromise. Miles, how about you? Anything you want to say before we sign off? Yeah, no, no, nothing, nothing additional. I want to thank you for the time. It's been fun. And we, you know, we can't wait to get this product out there. So you can have this, you know, in your office and in your home. <laughs> Sounds great. Well, um, I'll put the contact info for Ubiquitous Energy and for Miles and David in the show notes uh, when we publish it, when the podcast is posted. So all the show notes will be there, uh, website, LinkedIn, etc. 
you guys are also on, I think Ubiquitous Energy is on Twitter and Instagram as well. I've followed them there. So I'll put all that in. Um, I think the presence of social media, even in the context of our manufacturing and architectural world, uh, can't be understated uh, using the right channels there, the right influencers there. So that's good. So um, this is uh, Miles Barr and David Mikowski with Ubiquitous Energy. Gentlemen, thank you for your time. Audience, thank you for listening. We'll be back for the next show. We're signing off now. Have a great day.